Good afternoon and welcome to the 73rd of the COVID calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Today we have a discussion and performance with Marco Leonhardt, the director of East Winds Incorporated and the musical director and lead performer for Tycoza and East Winds Ensemble. You can catch COVID Calls live every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube. Just go to COVID Calls and look at the COVID Calls YouTube channel to watch. You can hear COVID Calls recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID Calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. Please do help spread the word and send suggestions for guests and topics please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. As of today, June 24th, 2020, there are 9,295,365 confirmed cases of COVID-19 globally, according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. That's up from 9,158,912 cases reported yesterday. Of those, 2,366,961 are in the United States, and that's up from 2,329,637 yesterday. There are now a total of 121,746 deaths from COVID-19 reported in the United States, from 120,913 deaths reported yesterday. I'd like to my guest today, we really have a, a special COVID calls today. The first time we have live performance on COVID calls, and we've had art on COVID calls, but we haven't had music. So I'm really, really thrilled to introduce Marco Leonhardt, who's the director of East Winds Incorporated and the musical director and lead performer for Tycoza and East Winds Ensemble from 1995 until today. Marco lived and performed in Japan for 18 years as a member of the legendary Taiko group. Ondekoza, under the director Takayasu Den. In Ondekoza, he mastered the taiko, the shinobue, the no flute, and he mastered the shakuhachi under Katsuyo Yokohama. And he'll tell us all about that in a few minutes. Since 1981, Marco has toured and taught internationally. He's performed as a soloist with Taikoza and Ondekoza numerous times at Carnegie Hall. Suntory Hall, Osaka Festival Hall, Madison Square Garden, Tchaikovsky Hall, and International Performing Center in Moscow, among others. With his knowledge of seven languages, he's presented educational programs in several languages throughout South America, Europe, and Japan. In 1995, he was critically acclaimed Shakuhachi soloist for the New York City Opera's premiere of the opera Kinkakuji and Voyage X with the Juilliard New Music Ensemble many other travels along the way, and I can't wait to speak with him about all of it. Marco, thank you so much, and welcome to COVID Calls. Thank you. My pleasure. <clears throat> I'd like to start, if we could, the way I have with these calls and just getting a sense of where you are and how things are there. So where are you calling in from, and what's the pandemic situation there like today? Well, I am in the northern tip of Manhattan, so it's called Inwood north of Washington Heights, for those who are familiar with the, the city. And, uh, well, the area actually right across the, the river in the Bronx and a little north of here was sort of where a lot of cases uh, were a couple of months ago, but now it's gone fairly down, so uh, we're doing much better. And it seems they're closing the, the state borders close for quarantine, it seems, but... So, but otherwise, I mean, here we're doing pretty good. And so every day I've been playing, uh, when they started playing for the healthcare, I've been going on the roof. We have a roof where we can go and I've taken my drums and played from seven to seven, five, seven or 10. And sort of uh, also cheering, not only the healthcare worker, but also the neighborhood, the, the neighbors, and having a hard time to cope with just being in lockdown. So and so I've been able to do that. It's been almost uh, three months now doing that. And so people sort of ask, oh, when are we stopping? And I, I'm like, I'm a musician and probably nothing's going to happen for a long time. So I'm, 
I feel I'm I'm up there. I'm I'm I get to practice. It's, it's my studio in, in the outdoors, and I think you know I'm I'm ready to play until somebody complains. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about these seven p.m. tributes to the health workers in New York? Maybe not everybody's heard about that. Well, in uh, so in New York, I, I probably started in Europe when the news was showing these uh, in Italy. I think people singing on balconies, and and so in New York they started to do it at 7 p.m. In Europe, I think it was much later, like 9 p.m. I think in Switzerland, and so at 7 p.m. people started banging uh, pots for just making a lot of noise, cheering. I think it it was when the 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 new sort of. Uh, doctors and the shift was changing at 7 p.m. That is one reason. And so we've been doing that and we even had some uh, nurses come <clears throat> at the bottom of the building watching and cheering and so it's been fun and even the, the firemen like uh, going by and then honking. So mm -hmm. so it's sort of a tradition but I think once the phase one, what they call the opening of the city, phase one, phase two, people started working. So of course fewer people were at home or but it seems still a lot of people are still playing and sort of mostly playing pots or uh, some foghorns or different things. And so, and being on the top of the roofs, you can hear pretty much a couple of miles away. These taiko drums are traditionally played in festivals, so they can be heard. They were to be heard very far away. And so in that same tradition, they're sort of purifying the, the town of the bad spirits and the evil, so it really plays a great role. I mean, it's still pretty much, you know, centuries after or thousands of years of being played in Japan now sort of still plays a role in that same way of trying to get rid of the bad spirit. Well, we have a great hour planned. We'll have some conversation. And you mentioned the volume, power of the taiko drum. And so that's why we're not going to have you play it there in your apartment. <laughs> apartment, yeah. You were kind of are pretty understanding, but still, yeah. <laughs> right. But you were kind enough to share two clips, and we will show both of those so that people can get a sense of the of the taiko. And then also, um, you were kind enough to agree to play a couple of uh, songs on Shakuhachi there in the apartment. So we'll have that, and then a chance to find out more about you as well. And, and along those lines, I just wanted to ask, like, how did you? First, get involved in Taiko. Uh, well, it was a, a sort of a, an exchange program. So, when when I grew up, exchange programs going to different countries was a little more popular. People were more open to that, and now people tend to do that more in colleges uh, for just the summer. So, I spent a whole year. It was part of a program right go, before going to college to spend a year in sort of a host family. And so I chose to go to Japan. I was one of the few to want to go to Japan in the 80s. It wasn't very popular to go that far, and especially not knowing the language. And so I decided to go to Japan. I arrived there. The moment I arrived, I felt like I fell in love with the music and everything, and I wanted to just stay longer. And from probably the first week, I, I was trying to find ways to stay more than one year. And eventually, I came across this um, Japanese music group called Ondekoza, which means the Demon Drum Group, that I joined <clears throat> after my uh, exchange program. And after that, thinking maybe I'll stay just a couple of months, that turned out to be 18 years. Wow. And, and so where were you living first in Japan? So first I was I was supposed to be in Aomori, but something happened with the whole family, so I ended up in, in the Osaka area, in the suburbs, in a town called Ibaraki. And uh, so I spent mostly my time in the Osaka area, Osaka, it's between Osaka and Kyoto. And after that, I had to do some programs, so a social programs, so I actually worked in the slum area in Osaka. It's not very well known that there is somewhat of a slum or sort of a, a poor area in, in Japan. And it's mostly actually men who are sort of homeless. And so I was helping out. And during that time, I made some contacts, which led me to Okinawa, as well as working on a farm in uh, Hokkaido. Hmm. And after that one year, I, I found 
this uh, music group, this commune uh, that worked sort of, they basically just played taiko drum the whole day. But part of the training also was marathon running. And that, that was sort of something very new to me. I, I did some running in school, but not to that level. So it took me a little bit to, to get used to the, the long runs. And so eventually after, I think I joined around September. So I went to, to Japan for the exchange year. It was about uh, September, September. Then I joined Onde Koza. And in November, I was running a 26-mile marathon, <clears throat> going downhill for the 13 miles first. And the last 13 miles was all uphill because we lived on a mountain on a volcano in Nagasaki Prefecture. So when I moved, we went all the way down southwest to Nagasaki were you a teenager at that point? You were 19 or 19, 20, something like that? Yes. <clears throat> so pr pretty much um, I always feel um, when at that age, whoever the teacher is or the person in charge tells you to do something, you sort of don't really think too much. You just do what you're told. And we had other members that joined later on when they their 20s. And, of course, then it's always – why should I be running? Why should I be playing that much? And so they wouldn't last very long. But having sort of, um, while well, wanting to live in Japan and having the chance to to play music was sort of a double chance to sort of be able to be in, in the group. So for me, it was uh, I was really excited to learn the instruments. I had played the flute and the piano in Switzerland, but discovering the shakuhachi, the bamboo flute in Japan, I really fell in love with it, and the drums were just amazing. I mean, it's hard to see on a video or hear it, but if you feel, uh, see it live, you really feel the vibrations, and it's a totally different experience than actually just uh, watching on a, on a screen or hearing on a CD. Well, why don't we go ahead and show one of these clips, and then we'll talk more about mm -hmm. your teacher Tageyasu Den is that right and and how what the process of becoming um, a master in taiko is really all about so we're gonna um, I think you've already set this up for us a little bit but this is on your rooftop in the Inwood section of Manhattan right and then the camera is sort of facing south so you could see sort of part of the uh, the tall building midtown uh, the um, the Empire State so I'm going to let people know that there may be, just because of the nature of these slowdown, platforms yeah. right now, there may be a slight slowdown in the video. Mm. But when I've tested this, I sound, it sounded good with the audio. So if, if the uh, video is a little disorienting, just... Um, the sound is a tiny microphone on my iPhone, so obviously it's not going to take the whole okay. power of the drum. But. Yeah. I think it's still going to be powerful. So let me bring this into the, into the frame here, and we will show this. Thank you. 
So that's great, and and you're and you're um, very uh, um, enthusiastic accompanists yeah. playing along with you there. I depends on the bass and the five five different uh, neighbors playing the part. Sometimes uh-huh. they like to come in right next to my iPhone. So. Yeah. so you said that that would be played. So traditionally in Japan, that the taiko drums would be played at festivals. Religious festivals, mostly Shinto festivals, so yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so there are mostly, there's a link between the Shinto shrine, and so it's a, a it's a, in honor of the gods in shrine there, so it can be a offering made to the gods for, for example, Mount Fuji, or there are different festivals around Mount Fuji, and sort of to appease the gods, so in that in that sense, so the, all, each festival is a, is a little different in in Japan. So, and as you know, in Japan there are earthquakes, there are typhoons. So there's not only a virus, but there were many other things that created uh, havoc through through the country for centuries. So every time they were through obviously a religion able to surmount all these difficult times. So there's a tradition of using the taiko music as a way to capture, cope with disaster, react to disaster, memorialize? How does it How does it work in that way? Well, I'm not sure about memorial. I mean, it's more sort of to appeasing, uh, appease the gods. So they know they'll be angry at times, but by giving offerings, sake once or twice a year, celebrating, they hope it will appease these, uh, these gods. I see. And so um, I want to know a little bit more about your teacher, Kageyasu Den, and like, also just maybe you could tell us a little bit about the music. I mean, I, was there any improvisation going on there at all of what we saw, or these forms are very well established and passed mm. along and they're not varied? So in, in Taiko in, in Japan, I mean, these this tradition was usually each of the, the rhythms happen only in one town. And each town does very different things, different size of drums, the way the drums are played is different. But if you start with one town, usually there was only one or two drummer playing at the same time. And only in the last 50 or 100 years, you have this new renaissance of taiko and you have hundreds of people playing at the same time, the same rhythm or several rhythms. But originally it was just one player. So you had a set rhythm that was sort of passed on through generation. And then, of course, each of the players tried to outdo each other, and so they would get flashier and flashier and do more intricate rhythms or movements. And taiko is very much in that tradition of the folk dances as well. So you have movements that are done in the daily life, and so wood chopping or the movement of the sort of pulling nets out of the, of the water. So it's a so, sort of very movement-oriented. I think. When and, you're... Can you tell us a few of the motions you were making then? I mean, in between so, striking the drum, you're also lifting in some ways, sometimes very um, geometric almost seeming, sort of orientation of your arm to another arm? Right. I mean, sometimes it becomes more like stylized, but originally, I mean, you have like these big waves they had in Japan. So you sort of have nets, uh, sort of pulling nets out of the ocean and also sort of, making like the, the movements of the wave. So with your arms, you have these movements that sort of try to symbolize like, uh, like a wave. And there are some uh, names of rhythms, for example, called big wave, small wave. And so there's a sort of a, a big link into, into like nature and, and those rhythms. So they were taken from and used in different ways. So, but uh, also like obviously, well, wood chopping also, <clears throat> you have simple um, movements that are used, but mostly it's the rhythms are in two, four, 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 and then once in a while you have a three, four thrown into it. But unlike uh, Korea, it's more sort of in a two base uh, rhythm in Japan. So it's more like a grounded where farmers walk. It's not so much a, a horse, sort of country, it's more walking, fishermen. Yeah. You're telling us 
about your preparation. So take us back to when you were just starting, really getting serious about Taiko. How many hours a day were you drumming? So uh, it was a commune. So basically you started with a 5.55 or 5 a.m. Uh, run, about 10, 10 miles. But before that, we played the, the flutes for 5, 10 minutes. And all together, just like holding a long tone, sort of using your breath. And after that, when we sort of waking up, then we went for a run. And that was about um, 5 to 10K. So it was basically a, a run around the town. And it was a set course. And after that, so then somebody was preparing breakfast. So usually had to come home a little faster. And then as we finished, we'd run another sort of set of 10 um, sprints uphill using the flute. So once you're out of breath, you play the flute till you're back to normal breathing, and then you put your foot down and you do another dash. Wow. And then in the afternoon, so after that, after breakfast, we'd play about uh, three, four hours till lunch. And so we had to tighten the drum, we had to prepare the drum, and then play for a little bit. And in the afternoon, again, from 2 to 4, 5 o'clock, we played some more drums. And then we went for a long run. So that was about 10 to 20 kilometers or miles. Uh, so it depended. So sometimes it was a long run, sometimes, but at least I would say um, 8 to 15 miles as an afternoon run. And then it was sort of the end of the day. But... Uh, in between, so if you had another instrument or you wanted to play to study something else, I studied the, the shakrachi, the bamboo flute. So during that early morning, I had maybe an hour, like in between when everybody was taking a siesta, I was playing the flute practicing, and afterwards I was just also practicing. So I was really having a full day. So that lasted uh, <clears throat> at least four or five years before we went into sort of touring and then during the tour, I would always have my flute with me, and we'd try practice, and we still run a lot. And then from 1990, we did one thing, which was um, after doing yearly marathons in New York, Boston, where we set up the drum right after the finish line, we'd always, um, after having finished the marathon, we'd go to the drum and play for another hour or two. That was part of our training. And then to... to to one day, the, the director, Mr. Tagayasudan, decided, uh, let's do something really special, and we are going to run around the perimeter of the United States of America. So we started with the New York City Marathon in November 1990, and after that, we had a concert at Carnegie Hall, and a week later, we started our sort of run, and we headed first to Florida, and that took a few months. <clears throat> Half a year, and then we came. We we ran back to Atlanta before heading to New Orleans and all the way to San Diego. Then we did the whole West Coast, all the way to uh, Seattle, before crossing back through Chicago to New York. That took us three years, and it was about nine thousand miles altogether for the whole run. But then we ran. Also, we stayed in the town sometimes, so we actually probably ran more than ten thousand miles during that time period. It's remarkable. Could you just explain, we'll get back to the music in a second, but yeah. what you see as the connection? I understand maybe the, the training for breath and for concentration, but maybe at a deeper level, the connection between the kind of state that's achieved with that kind of running to the music? Well, I mean, as a commune, so basically, as it started, you go back to the start of the commune, there were young people in the 70s unhappy with sort of the, there was a student movement. And with the education, the way it was, uh, the order was, the professors and the teachers, the students. And so there was sort of a, a strike. And so during that time, a lot of students wanted to do something else. And Mr. Dan sort of came up with this idea of, let's start sort of a, a university, but of, of music, of arts, and bring it to, to abroad to introduce Japan in a different way. That was sort of the start of the, 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 the group. But having these young people come and uh, at first, of course, they the, the practice together, but in the evening they wanted to go have fun and they would go in the village and have a drink and never wake up in the morning. So one day Mr. Den was really fed up with it and he said, 
So he set some rules, no more drinking, no more uh, alcohol, no newspaper, no TV, um, and then just practice and run. So he, was, he wanted us to get really tired <clears throat> running and spending in physical exercise through the day and so that he could we could focus more on, on the music. And so I joined the group about uh, almost 10 years after it was formed. So it was sort of the second wave. And by then already some set rules were set. And so part of the training was basically if you play taiko, you need a lot of stamina and playing and running, you sort of build up a way on running a marathon. You have to sort of keep your energy to the end. So in a concert also, you have to keep the energy and not give everything at the beginning and still have something for the big finish. Mm -hmm. So in that same way, you sort of have the stamina and sort of control your energy. And I would say that that sort of plays a role in, with the running. You were telling us a minute ago that you, instead of napping in the afternoon, which you probably should have been, you were learning to play Takahashi. Yes. And Maybe you could play something for us now? Okay, sure. I'll start with a, well, a shorter one. So this is the shakuhachi. This is a bamboo flute. It has only five holes, four in the front, one in the back. It's an end-blown flute, and it has sort of sharp edge. Basically, so just a piece of bamboo, very rudimental, very simple. And though it's very simple, it's actually very expensive in a way for just being a piece of bamboo. These flutes can go from... Easily for a beginner, fifteen hundred to ten, twenty thousand dollars just for a piece of bamboo, and just depending on who the maker is. So, shakuhachi actually means one foot eight inches. Shaku is an old Japanese measure. Hachi refers to the number eight, and that would be, of course, inches. So, I like to play a song, sort of a lullaby, and that was a, another. Sort of a catastrophe that happened in Kumamoto. There was an earthquake, and after centuries of having the castle uh, withstand the earthquakes and typhoon, that earthquake finally uh, made the wall sort of tumble. So part of the the castle sort of fell apart. So this is a a song from the area of Kumamoto, which is in Kyushu, in the southwest part of Japan. <laughs>
that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. How would that part is actually it's a call it's a song called um, "The Moon Over the Rune Castle" by Takirentaro, and the uh, the first one was the lullaby of Shimabara, which is in Nagasaki. It's a town in Nagasaki, written by a friend <clears throat> uh, Miyazaki. And and so these are reacting. Well, the first one you said sort of reacting also to an earthquake. So again, this sort of well, I mean, I I, I just played it because it's, it has the theme of Kumamoto. So I thought. <clears throat> yeah. those two together yes absolutely are people writing um music at this time i mean i do yes i've written a few songs and uh, i am sure some things might come later on or you know if you look on, on youtube or there might be uh, different things but they're all i mean after the covid there were <clears throat> black lives matter i mean there's more music um on, on that matter of and also on sort of probably the, the economy as well. So all these different things, people have been very sort of a, emotional as well and writing and uh, writing music, composing and creating art. And it seems, I mean, from the very get-go, the, the beginning in March, I mean, the arts and education movement, I was online and within weeks, I mean, people were trying to figure out things. I mean, we have to help the children do education. We have to bring the music to them. And we did videos. And I, I created many videos for arts program um, for for students. Some didn't have computers, but had a TV. So in Baltimore, they had a, an educational program, and people would watch that. But if it's just um, more sort of a study in between, you need a little more fun. So they have these three minutes called Art Explosion. And so we, we came up with different introduction to Japanese music or origami or all kinds of things. And I think it's important. And also people always, the moment they're sort of stuck somewhere, I mean, the music sort of helps them cope with different things, art or um, looking at something or reading a book or watching movies or this is all art related. But it's the last thing, that's the first thing that gets defunded and the last thing gets, gets funded. <clears throat> Can you say a little bit about the role of Taiko in Fukushima? Because I know you and I talked a little bit about that mm. before. It's been an important part of the culture there, and maybe some aspects of it lost through the disaster. Yeah, so, I mean, Fukushima was... Uh, actually, I, I wasn't in Japan at that time. I was touring uh, Russia at that time. But uh, the the area actually has a lot of music and a lot of Taiko groups that uh, were in that area and some were wiped out. I mean, some drums were destroyed, of course, but and some people got away and uh, had to move away, especially the ones who lived in the area of the Fukushima Central, the nuclear power plant. And I have a friend who actually was a security uh, guard at the power plant, and I went to see him uh, two years ago and he invited him, me to his house. He lives uh, closer to Fukushima City, which is far enough that it's uh, it's okay. And so they were trying to regroup with his taiko group, but everybody had moved to different parts of the Japan. And once a month, they were trying to get the people that were in the Kanto area to be able to play. And so they had this gym uh, that they, they were able to use and bring the drums there once a month and to be able to practice. And I have some friends, I, I've been teaching around uh, in Hawaii a lot, in South America, and in Hawaii, there is um, a lot of the immigrants that came to Hawaii actually came from Fukushima. Hmm. And um, in the 18th, 19th, early 19th century, I guess. And so they have a link with Fukushima. And before even that earthquake happened, they sort of tried to go back to their roots and meet the people, go to Fukushima, as they were playing some songs called Fukushima Ondo, which is a, uh, a dance, a summer dance, a bond dance. And so they brought the taiko, they brought the, the people from Maui, and they, they went to Fukushima and made contact. And the music had changed through the centuries. The music that they were playing actually was not played anymore in Fukushima. But the elderly, the ones that were 70, 80, 90 years old, sort of recognized the melody and said, oh, I remember this song. The speed of the song had changed, though. So it's always a, a, a speed thing between, you know, old times and modern times. Things tend to go faster and faster sometimes. Or 
And so they, they, they sort of passed on. And then this uh, accident happened. So uh, a lot of people from the Fukushima, the FICO group, had to go away. The festivals had to be shut down. Of course, people couldn't live there. And one of the Taiko uh, masters was sort of uh, <clears throat> wanting the, the group in Maui to learn the song. And the Maui group said, well, we'll, we'll actually learn the song and we'll keep it in Maui. And whenever it's safe again, we'll teach mm. people in Fukushima again. So that tradition is sort of not lost at all and it will be passed on. So I thought that very, very sort of very kind of them and very, very sweet to be able to, you know, to, to pass on a tradition going through uh, past oceans and, and times. I had experienced something different uh, when I was in, in, in Aichi Prefecture, close to Nagoya. In the 50s, there was a big typhoon there and that wiped out sort of <clears throat> the low, low, lower area, the land south of uh, Nagoya. And there was a temple that had a Taiko piece there, and that was wiped out. And we, maybe in the 90s, uh, early, late 80s, actually, we went there to learn a song. And the teacher there told us that during the, the typhoon for about 10, 15 years, the, the festival had sort of not happened any, anymore. But as a youth, he had played the drum and the flute, and so it took him some time, but he wrote everything that he remembered. He wrote it down, the flute part, the drum part, and started teaching to children. And then much later on, he started a group at the, the temple, the Shinto temple, and they've been playing that since then. So it's called Kaito Ryu in um, Tobishima village, close to uh, Nagoya. And so that is, for example, a, a, a taiko group that has sort of surmounted uh, catastrophe and being able, to, but through maybe 10, 20 years, to be able to reconstruct what was uh, available. And uh, <clears throat> I think that's that happened a lot throughout Japan, probably in different special coastal area that had typhoons, tsunamis, and sure, all kinds sure. of and these are remarkable stories. And, you know, of course, in the United States, we have regional music, absolutely. But this idea that um, that for very specific places, there are taiko songs that inhere and that maybe even the song sort of goes on exile for a while and then it's returned. Mm -hmm. it's really amazing. Tremendous. Well, the songs always have this thing about the mountain, the beauty of the area. So there's it's very local and so each of these minyo they call them you know it's very very uh, particular and every singer also adds a little bit of his you know the words or create his own verses What I'd like to do now, well, first I want to remind people you're listening to COVID Calls and I'm talking to Marco Linhard today and we're getting a uh, taco performance and um, we're going to come back to your rooftop now, uh, to one of the performances from the rooftop. Yeah. And as, as we get ready to watch this one's about five minutes also, um, anything special we should be listening for or watching for now that we've seen a little bit of one performance we're well, not well, offices now you had asked that if it was set rhythm so i mean some of the pieces i wrote so i just play around with that setting and being playing just on my own and so again in the taiko it's mostly just the movements that are very important and so you have to think of the timing it's not just playing uh, the drum right there, which makes it more precise, but there you have to think of a different position where you have to come in the beat and making all these different movements. So it makes it a little more challenging. And uh, and also, if you're interested, um, face what is it? Facebook under my name, Marco Leinhardt. You can see me at 7 p.m. every day, and it's posted as well afterwards, so you can watch it later. So if you're interested, then have a view of what look New York City looks like at 7 p.m. if it doesn't rain and <clears throat> if they don't kick us off the roof but yes <laughs> so, people can find that on your facebook page marco leonhardt yeah, yeah. yeah. and also you can go on my website uh, on on the drum if you want to see a little more you can see on youtube under taikoza t-a-i-k-o-z-a dot com and on youtube i have a link there as well so you can watch there and maybe get a little bit uh, more direct um from your computer 
because through the Wi-Fi probably the sound and the, the image so loses a little bit. So, okay, all right, well, good. But let's let's rejoin this. Everybody, open your windows loud. Turn your your speakers <laughs> up, and let's drive these bad spirits out.
great. And then you get the dog at the end there. No, the dog came from the neighbor. He was so excited. <laughs> Usually they don't like too much sound, but this one just like loved it. The great moment about six minutes. I've watched this a few times and it's about six minutes into it. You turn sideways and you just have this huge grin on your face. <laughs> and you just seem like you're really having a great time doing it. It's great to see also the, all, all the people, I mean, playing cans as well, but you see the, the, their energies up, you know, even for that day, maybe the whole day we were down and depressed. And then that last, you know, at 7 p.m., suddenly they get that energy. And I think the, the taiko drum really gives you energy. It energizes people. So I hope, you know, even a mile away, people in the park, they hear it. And I hear a lot of people afterwards. I had some kids come up with their own drums sometimes and they they say we we hear it every you know every day and it really helps us so so it's good to hear that that it actually does something and not just for you know support of the health workers though maybe new york not so much but you know arizona and other states or and brazil and other countries i mean people need moral support and will for some time unfortunately have you ever played the drum with this intention before uh, I mean, usually just, I mean, in, in a way to, I try to communicate sort of my experience, my joy of Taiko, I mean, through what I experienced, like bringing images of, of my time in Japan. And I mean, it's mostly joy, so I try to bring sort of a, a positive energy to it. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> but mm, I mean, surmounting different things, difficult times. Marco will be rejoining us momentarily. And just to remind everybody, you've been listening to COVID calls and a very special COVID calls today with Marco Leonhard, total master of the taiko drum and of the shakuhachi flute and other instruments as well. And we've been talking about his performances that he's been doing on the rooftop of his building in New York City at... Uh, at uh, 7 p.m. every evening as a tribute to the essential workers and to the health workers. And as you've seen from those two clips, the uh, accompany, accompaniments he's also had with people banging, some of whom are, are I think are banging cymbals or maybe also traditional drums and others who are just beating pots and pans. So it's a real uh, coming together of neighbors uh, with their instruments there, some more formal and some informal. Marco, you're back with us, and I was just bringing people back to context. It's totally fine. It's a busy time of day, and, and uh, I think sometimes the platform gets busy too. So, um, and you were telling us, you know, a little bit about sort of your intention of, of playing at this time and what it means to sort of spread that taiko, that energy of it. Yes, I'm going to try to, to help and cope. And I was talking about being in, in Moscow and after the uh, the big tsunami, sort of playing with that, you know, hoping sort of everybody was, the, the family and friends were safe. And so in that sense, sort of coping also for oneself. So when you play, you're all sort of helping yourself. You get that energy from the from the drums, from the music as you play. So it's not only for the other people, but sometimes it helps yourself as well. Really? So we have a few minutes left, and I think it yeah. would be perfect for us to finish. If you don't mind, you'll give us another song on the shakuhachi. <clears throat> okay, sure, yes. So this is a, a slightly longer flute. It's called it's a 2.7. So the uh, other one was a foot shorter. I don't know. Ah, okay. And this is used for originally for meditation, so it's more like a meditation piece. And this is called Yamagoe, which means going over mountain pass. But I consider the mountain pass being actually difficulties or a hard time in your life. And so you can take it in that way.
Bridge version of <clears throat> so Yamagoe. Is that one harder to that instrument harder to play than the other one because it's uh, well, it's it's harder because it, it takes more breath. So obviously the length of the the breath has to go all the way down, and the, the sound moves a little slower as well as <clears throat> most uh, instruments. When you see a contrabass, it's like whoa, whoa. <clears throat> seems to everything to be slowed down a little bit. <laughs> So as we're finishing up today, I want to just give an opportunity, Marco, if people want to find out more about your music, how do they do that? So they can find the music on the Spotify, uh, Apple Music, uh, Amazon, uh, under Marco Leinhardt, or if you go under Taikoza, T-A-I-K-O-Z-A, you'll find uh, the website and the different links. Also, I recorded music for um, Miyazaki Hayao, so it's uh, music that is um, from the Studio Ghibli, sort of uh, cover songs for Koto and Shakuachi and this Taiko songs, as well as classical music and Shakuachi and more traditional pieces. So there are different uh, styles, So, but you can listen and try it out on Spotify or you can get the, the music through the website at taikoza.com or Marco Leinhardt, that's spelled there without a space, .com. Hopefully it won't be too long before you're performing again around the world as well yeah, i hope so yes but we'll see so for everybody to stay safe i was making these little uh me and i put like a little mask on them so I do. <laughs> that's great that's amazing well um this has really been a special hour and thank you for what you're doing and everything thank, thank you for having me on your program thank you was like to remind everybody you've been listening to COVID calls tomorrow at five o'clock. We will have um, return to our ongoing discussion about pandemics in history. We have four historians tomorrow because uh, you can never have too many historians when you're talking about the history of medicine. We're going to have a really great discussion tomorrow about pandemics in pre-modern history, including Roman Empire. And so that's going to be a really good conversation. And uh, you can catch us every weekday, 5 p.m., right here the COVID calls. Marco, stay healthy and... Uh, Thank you, Richard. Thank you. You're headed up on the rooftop now? Yes, soon. In uh, less than an hour, yes. In 50 minutes. So check it out. <laughs> okay. Take care. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.